Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is the second episode that we're doing in a row. It's very rare that I record episodes in this fashion, but today's a very special day. I haven't recorded an episode in a while, so I figure might as well double down on it. I might even do a third one tomorrow if I'm feeling lucky. Uh, so, last we left off, the Sin Hunter was captured by the Lord of Wrath, but uh, he escaped. Yeah, that didn't last too long. So today we're going to take a look more into the Lord of Wrath. Uh, we might bring up some old characters that you most likely haven't heard from in a while. And we're just going to roll with it. I'm really thankful that a lot of you have stuck with me through these trying times. And uh, don't worry. I, <laughs> I do intend on doing this podcast a lot more in the future. I have not yet abandoned it. And it also brings me great pleasure in knowing that I can just get my book out to the world while I'm still editing it. Uh, once again, thank you all so much for your support and your feedback, too. I've been asking a lot of people around what I'm doing wrong, what they'd like to see in the book. You've all given me a lot of feedback, and I appreciate every last ounce of it. Thank you all very much. Let's get into the episode. Chapter 19, Escape and Revelations. The Lord of Wrath's assistant sauntered through the hallways of the Great Black Fortress, flipping a serrated knife around his ring-covered hands as he whistled an old tune to himself. It was a song that he had educated himself on while performing for crowds and legions of the undead and newly dead, and the imprisoned as well. A song so harsh and unforgiving that, when played upon the strings of his wrathful guitar, it shredded the minds and ears of anyone close enough to bear witness to it. And yet, while the Lord of Wrath's assistant knew the song well enough to hear the metal grinding in his mind, the song, when hummed in a gentle tone to someone who had never heard it before, might have easily mistaken it for a soothing melody, one of slow and gentle pacing. Avery smiled to remember the fond memories he had made since he was elected to the position of Dungeon Keeper, and the memories he had shared with his boss when he stopped and swung on one foot back around to see an open window in the hallway. Well, that's, uh, suspicious. What is that leaves is open, eh? The intrigued interrogator turned from his usual walking routine towards the window, its panes slightly ajar from their frame. Avery stuck his head out of the window, receiving a burst of hot air to his face and slicked black hair. Felt good. <clears throat> ah, that's a little jolt of air I needed. Avery scratched his chin in wonder as he peeked around the wall to the courtyard leading to one of the first gatehouses, before turning his attention out to the great wall around the fortress. Mm. Hey, those little fire flickers need to start closing the windows, they're letting a the draft in. Avery closed the windows back up, locking them tight, and kept walking, swirling a ring of keys around his belt up to his hand, replacing them with a knife. He flipped through the various keys, each one reminding him of a different friend in, perhaps it seemed, another world. Avery didn't keep in touch with the other lords and ladies of Hell's assistance so much as he did talk to them. If they ever met, he would obviously tell them stories, but really and truly, it was never one of his priorities. <laughs> Avery descended past the flaming guards and soldiers that monitored the ramparts, entering the dungeon, whistling softly as he went. But as his slow breath grew near, chains clanked and prisoners on the walls and in their cells shook in fear. Avery smiled at this. It was always satisfying. 
But as he rounded the corner, tiptoeing and perhaps tight wire walking along the very edge of the platform, he reached the cell that Azazel had entrusted him to collect, the one that held the Sin Hunter. But upon reaching the edge of the cell and peering inside, he was blown away to see the gate close tight, but the cell itself was empty. No scratch marks, nothing on the walls, the chains and cuffs had been blown apart by anything. Sin Hunter was gone, escaped like the wind. Avery, though he may have been a calm figure, couldn't help but swing his axe around in a circular fashion, striking one of the sleeping guards and sending them flying into the bowling pit of magma below. Useless piles of dented scrap! Wake your sorry asses up right this second! As clanking brought the guards to their waking positions, Avery huffed aggressively, then sprinted from the room, taking the stairs back up to the main floor. Oh, the boss is not gonna like this. He seethed, storming up higher and higher, until he reached the great lookout at the top of the fortress. Avery hurried through the hallway, anxiously flipping his knife around. Ah, uh, hey boss, you got a massive problem! At once, a hideously scarred and terrifying dragon slammed into the floor, screeching and blasting everything away with fire, and standing in the remains was Azazel, whose head swallowed up the fire and flame, as he groaned, rubbing his eyes with one gloved hand. Ugh. All right, all right, let me guess. <sighs> Sin Hunter found a way out, he groaned sarcastically. But as Avery pursed his lips and she er, shuddered cheekily, Azazel instantly perked up. His eyes, stained with charcoal, grew bigger than ever, and he burst into a fit of rage. <laughs> That's a good one, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know that. Oh man, that's absolutely great. I can't even. <sighs> Avery stepped back as a massive statue of armor flew across the room, smashing into the wall with a bone chilling screech and clanking, then watched in terror as several gruesome, nightmarish monsters and creatures of lore emerged from the fire of his boss's head. <sighs> I have less than 12 hours to bring him in, and you're really telling me that you! Avery ducked for cover, grabbing a small metal shield as he flung himself behind a statue, preparing himself for the absolute worst. LOST HIM! Azazel screamed. The hole of wrath exploded at once, and even the Sin Hunter, who now sat recovering by a fire with a group of western-dressed imps, felt the tremors in the ground shaking wildly. Whoa! Everyone shook. Volcanoes erupted. Magma burst from the ground. Everything flowed with the intense and searing anger behind Azazel's fiery mask. And when the Lord of Wrath finally stopped screaming and the flames subsided, Avery poked his head out from behind a shield, which was either too hot to feel or just a pile of ash at this point. Uh, whew, that was big. He dropped the shield on the ground and walked over to Azazel, who was now just a tiny ball of flame in his previous attire. The fireball twisted itself round, looking up at its assistant, clear anger in its expression. I bear down again, didn't I? Avery scooped up the tiny flame in his hand and carried him into his fortress in or his fortress quarters. Yes, you did, buddy. Yes, you did. During the great shockwave that Wrath plagued the world of hell with, crushing buildings and shaking districts horribly, farther out in envy, Queen Satan had been poring over her plans for victory. All right. There will be guards in the armored trucks, no doubt. Harrison, how quickly can you reach out to Dr. Cynthia and ask her about this growing plan? Harrison shifted in his platinum suit of armor, looking over the map of hell, which stretched out on the dining table. Are you sure that's a good idea? Remember what happened at the big house only a few days ago. 
Satan waved a hand aside, flipping up her golden visor to look at her assistant. Well, she said it sarcastically, crossing her arms. Shocking as this may seem, I have faith that we can put some trust in the assistant and not her employer. At this, Harrison looked with concern to the other tacticians spread around the table before turning back to his boss, whispering this time. So, that call with Morpheus didn't go too well, huh? he asked. Satan huffed, and her features shone clear in the dimly lit throne room, her dark chocolate hair flowing out behind her golden helmet. Ah, I really need to prioritize when I go out in public nowadays. It's getting annoying having my contract siblings constantly brush past me, just because I never do anything for them. Where does all their metal and precious gemstones come from again? Harrison nodded, turning to the map again, with his platinum armor glinting in the light from outside. Yeah, yeah, just calm down. We get it. It's okay. All right, everyone, listen up, he commanded. A group of armored knights stopped their communication and turned to the head knight seated at the front of the table. The platinum and emerald knights raised their arms in uniform manner, saluting with raised hands their queen and golden knight. Harrison looked to his boss, to which Satan only smiled and nodded, and the platinum council leader directed his attention again to the map. <clears throat> in three days' time, the Sin Hunter will be transported through this street here, directly up to Lucifer's castle. I, however, intend to stop that truck before it even gets to Prime. But, sir, an Emerald Knight asked, their mace and bulky armor shimmering as they move. What about the whole ambush? Shouldn't we try to strike further into Pride where our forces will be strongest? Harrison turned at the markings on the route and shook his helmeted head. No. If Lucifer catches wind of a potential ambush, this could end horribly for us. No. We need to strike hard and fast without anyone knowing. The moment that truck crosses the threshold into Pride, we jump it and kidnap the Sin Hunter for ourselves. Easy pickings. The knights gathered around the table nodded in agreement and muttering the rose. I'll need our, arch or our ruby archmages here and here, Harrison said, pointing to the buildings occupying the border between Wrath and Pride. I need you to get there to a vantage point and shut those wheels down. Once the truck's wheels stop turning, our silver and emerald guards will ram the truck from the left, sending it cascading off this ledge, he continued, motioning with his finger up the map, to which every knight at the table followed, intrigued by the motion and will intercept the package, rip the guards from their stun position, and drive off. Remember, these guards are bred in wrath, so they'll be hot and not down for long. Take them down in one strike or less, Harrison concluded, standing up from his seat and looking down the wings at the knights which readied their weapons. Even Satan joined close by, polishing off her golden armor. You are to escort Satan to the direct position and rendezvous with me at the border. I'll be waiting with our ammunition and weaponry. Wait for the signal and the Sin Hunters as good as ours. I'll relay this message from your king herself. Knights and the guards applauded, to which Harrison dismounted his seat, walking around the table to Satan, who only flipped her visor down. <sighs> well done, Harry, she said, nodding. Harrison nodded and grabbed his own polished platinum helmet. I learned from the best. Now go, direct your army. I'll remain here with the spare set and intercept any incoming or outgoing calls you get. Satan nodded, snatching her lance from the well nearby as she flipped the deadly weapon around, striking the ground with its handle. All right. Guards of Envy, let's get moving. All across the table, knights in emerald, ruby, silver, diamond, and topaz advanced from their seats, adjusting their armor, sharpening swords, and preparing for the coming battle. Harrison, in the meantime, passed his armor set off to a waiting butler, and grabbed from behind Satan's throne a spare set of armor, almost identical to the Golden Knight. The title of Golden Knight was something of shared custody between Harrison and the Queen. As such, when Satan usually led her forces out in the battlefield, Harrison would equip himself with a spare set and occupy the throne, answering the people's needs and requests. The height difference was the tiniest bit to give off suspicion, 
But Harrison had been working as Satan's assistant for over three years and had nothing ever really happened to him. To cut away from the servant of Envy's lady, Satan marched through the hallways of her golden establishment, sharpening the spike on her lance. I think it's time we show the world what the Golden Knight has to say about these claims and theories. Tonight, I hunt the greatest game in all of hell. Up to this point, we haven't seen much of Satan. But make no mistake, because at the end of the day, this woman, hellborn or dead, Satan is perhaps the most skilled in tactical and hand-to-hand -hand combat, superior to anyone before her, and almost certainly after her. Chapter 20 Home on the Crimson Range The Sin Hunter kicked his boots up on an old, dusty log, and he crunched down on Beefstick, taking in the ash-clogged air, but feeling quite alright. Whew, thanks for helping the guy out, fellas. I appreciate it. The group of imps, who joined him around their fire, just smiled and laughed all the same. One imp, adjusting their pointed boots and hat, stood up from the fire. Eh, don't you worry, stranger. If anything, it was a good thing you stumbled upon our site before we left. But we got plenty of food, so we're happy to share. Jack nodded and looked up at the sky. Despite being a wasteland of volcanoes and death, the sky was a peaceful crimson with streaks of pink and purple. It's funny. The most peaceful thing in Wrath is the sky, so far out of reach. One of the taller imps, who had been polishing their hunting rifle, looked through the scope at a tree. Oh yeah, kind of ironic by your logic. Sin Hunter stood up and looked over at the tree line, a serious tone washing over his face. Alright then. As the Sin Hunter began to walk away, one of the ranchers shifted around on the stump, turning to Jack. You heading out already? he asked. Sin Hunter nodded and put a hand on one of the trees, before turning back to the small campsite. I must go. Sorry, fellas. But thank you for the hospitality, gents. With that, Jack disappeared into the foliage of the woods, heading back towards Wrath and Azazel's fortress. As his boots crunched across the dry leaves and twigs, he ducked under and climbed over the vegetation that he had used to enter the safety of the woods. But no sooner had Jack crossed back into the wall of heat, into the dry, dusty wastelands, had he knew what needed to be done. Alright, I need to get back to the city. How I do that is going to be a puzzle, but there is a chance. There's gotta be some other route, something secret that I can use to get to and from Wrath all the way somewhere else. Biggest priority now is reconvening with the Stimpak Society. If I can get back to them, we can regroup and form a better strategy. Jack poked his head out from the trees before walking into the barren fields of ash and dust. Numerous skeletons and dead creatures litter the world of Wrath. Jack became greatly concerned for his safety. Hmm. These poor souls. I wonder how they died. If there wasn't anything that was really edible or counted as water, then the Sin Hunter was in for trouble. Thankfully, those hunters had given him some water and a few more of those beef sticks. So Jack kept on walking, feeling good about his situation when he finally reached a wall. But this was not the same wall that bound him from Azazel's castle. No, this wall was much higher and on the other side, Jack heard the faintest noise of water crashing against the barrier. The Sin Hunter tucked his canteen back into his trench coat and lunged up the wall, grabbing a firm hold on a small crack. He inched upwards, hand after hand, his limbs shaking as he planted his feet wherever he could, until finally from exhaustion, Jack emerged to the top of the wall, collapsing as he rolled over. He shifted his head to look over the barrier, but to his dismay there was nothing to be seen. The only sign for a lot of life was some giant bubble in the middle of the crashing waves. Oh, great. I was at least expecting something better than this. Jack took a moment to stand up and adjust his fedora, feeling the moderate new temperature of both the ocean spray and the fire, and he turned to his right, looking towards the end of the wall. Hmm. Well, 
Now that I'm up, actually up here, where does this road take me? Sin Hunter talked to himself for a while before setting off down the barrier and walking, humming a nice little tune to himself. Returning to the darkest trenches beneath Sloth, where the Lord and his greatest scientists occupied the undersea research lab, Morpheus roamed the silver hallways with leisure, with their darkened windows reflecting the deepest edge of the ocean's clutches and the smooth interior providing a lighter atmosphere. Past his employees and scientists, to which he greeted all warmly and equally. Morpheus entered an elevator from the bottom of the ocean, and upon stepping through the private doors which slid aside to greet the armored cephalopod, the Lord of Sloth entered a key on his multi-tool gauntlet into a slot in the elevator. A hatch, more easily to someone, or more easily accessible to someone's size, popped open at his arm level. Morpheus removed the key, sliding the small copper wiring back into his gauntlet, before clicking the button to take him back up to the ocean surface. That bubble that the Sin Hunter had seen prior was exactly where Morpheus resided, more specifically where Sloth resided. A great dome, constructed of indestructible glass materials formed, and allowed room for a great city to be built inside, using the technology of the ancient laboratory far below. Morpheus, looking back fondly on the days when all this was still new to his mind, typed in a special access code on his gauntlet, swiping through the built-in screen to his contacts. Morpheus stopped on a specific number and dialed it, sending the electronic signal to his head where he began to pick up. <clears throat> Hello, this is Morpheus. Yes, I know. Okay. Well, have it ready in three days. Currents will be cooler by then, and then we can... Wait, what? No, don't be incompetent. Of course I'm bringing the scientist. Yes, yes, I know the plan. I built it myself, remember? Yes, I understand your concerns. Goodbye. Morpheus shut off his gauntlet, grumbling as he tapped his gigantic metal boot on the elevator floor. <sighs> Such limited aspirations that council has. Sometimes I wonder if they've forgotten who keeps who in check in this society. Morpheus let his thoughts fade into the realm of obscurity as the elevator doors flipped open, revealing a brighter aura. The city of Sloth was far brighter than that of the underwater lab that Morpheus worked from, and it was always a wonderful relief to work on the surface. Water still pounded against the dome, but down here, submerged almost completely in water, you could roam freely in the cyber city streets and look up any time to see beautiful aquatic flora and majestic sea beasts that swam past or overhead. A technological paradise for the ages, and the Lord of Sloth couldn't help but feel like a child again, who had just finished their first model kit. Morpheus strode down the sidewalk, lined with unique flora and coral decorations, zen gardens and beautiful artwork illuminated by tapestries, and a very eastern preference for architecture, past his subjects and servants, until he reached a specific building, which led to Florence Industries. Florence Industries was more of a bioengineering research division of his work, and it was run by none other than his favorite little subject. As Morpheus strode up the sidewalk, taking the path up and up and up to the research facility, he entered the doors using a code that granted him access to almost any door in Sloth. It was a simple key code, but one that was absolutely necessary. As he entered the facility, grinding gears and sparking wires emerged everywhere, clouding his hearing. Ah, feels good to be here, in a realm of such a simple-minded folk. Dr. Cynthia turned from her welding work and looked over at Morpheus from her shoulder, who was gazing intently at everything around the city or on this facility. Cynthia then turned to a modified Roomba and passed it the blowtorch and welding mask. Alright, think you can finish that cross-section while I go talk with the boss? The robot beeped and clicked, then continued working, UV light flashing against the steel pipes. 
Dr. Cynthia leapt from the three-story railing and landed safely on the floor, bouncing off of a gelatin-like rug. Dusting herself off, she looked up to her boss. Ah, hello, Morpheus. And what should bring the mighty king of the sea from his ocean floor? Morpheus smiled and looked around the facility. You've certainly been working. What's all that over there? He asked, pointing to a massive pile of test tubes and boxes. Cynthia nodded and shifted in her position. Ah, that. I've been trying to find a new way to properly filter the water in the ocean. Or, she said, reaching for two test tubes from a workbench nearby, combining the solid chemicals together. It's a nice process. Morpheus was puzzled by the grinning doctor's logic. I'm familiar with the chemical combination, hydrogen and oxygen. But both of those, even mixed with other things, are extremely hazardous in their prime forms, Cynthia. Dr. Florence nodded and grabbed a mask, gently sliding it over her face and tilting the tubes together. You know, I told myself that the first time as well. But after getting this chemical combination, she said, mixing the pure hydrogen with a vial of pure oxygen and stirring furiously, she removed her mask and held up a tube. Take your mask off and have a taste. Don't worry, it's not drugged with sleeping stuff, she said, handing the vial upwards. The look of sloth, his intrigue growing, removed his aquatic filtration apparatus and lifted the vial to his mouth. To his surprise, pure water flowed down his throat, clogged with metals and minerals to help it taste better. He stepped back in amazement before leaning down and setting the vial on a nearby table. <clears throat> well done, Doctor. You found a way to purify and combine those materials into real water. Impressive. Cynthia nodded, grabbing her melding mask again, welding mask again, stepping onto a platform which rose up to the second floor. Mm-hmm. Well, that was just a fun little science project. What I really want to do, the doctor said, turning with a swishing lab coat to her boss, is start working on a water-fueled power core. It'll draw energy and H2O from the ocean outside, then convert the chemical combination into new chemicals that we can use to power energy sources here in the city. Morpheus kicked back on a wall nearby and smirked, shaking his head. Cynthia, despite her work, was not somebody who let that by. It was a little something she carried over from her boss. Ah, what's the problem now? she asked. Morpheus stood from his resting spot and strode over, leaning his arms on the railing of the second floor. For someone who, until recently, had dedicated their life to killing one person and obeying my commands, you seem to be doing much better now. Cynthia nodded and grabbed a workbook full of blueprints from her desk. Who, the Sin Hunter? Nah, I think it's better if he comes to me. See, the problem with so many people is that they assume they need to work for life. And while that may be true, some things don't require you to lift a finger. That's why you live in sloth. Yes, Morpheus said, smiling. The Lord of Sloth stood tall again and hefted a glowing blue fish hook over his shoulder. <sighs> perhaps, Doctor, perhaps. Well, I'd better be off for my quarters. As night sets in, I fear for those who find themselves lost on the road tonight. Cynthia grabbed her new titanium-reinforced glasses and slid them, or slid them on, taking a fire pole down to the first floor. Yeah, I'd better be off as well. I've got stuff to do. And hey, I'm sure Robbie will take care of his work at some point. Morpheus turned, surprised. Robbie? Who is that? Cynthia looked up, pushing through the door out on the road. Yeah, Robbie. He's an AI pathfinding Roomba I built for projects and working while I go offline. The Lord of Sloth shook his head and followed Dr. Cynthia out of the door, letting the interior of his armor air out more. Now what else have you been up to while I've been gone? And that concludes the story. Uh, apologies if it was a bit choppy, my dialogue is still iffy, and there's a lot that needs to be repaired. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's actually a lot longer. I'd say even double the length of usual episodes, so yeah.
All right. See you all later.